Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday, August 2nd, 2018, as we are streaming the show live on Mixer.com slash Sox Machine. In somewhat dramatic fashion, the White Sox won on Thursday, beating Kansas City 6-4 thanks to home runs hit by Jose Abreu and Daniel Polka. And Daniel Polka's home run was a pinch hit three-run shot in the eighth inning to win it late. Ronaldo Lopez pitched a good game, but overall the White Sox played pretty poorly this series against one of the worst teams in baseball. We'll recap the series against the Royals and ponder if it's a sign of things to come In August, the White Sox are heading to Tampa Bay this weekend to face the Rays, and we'll preview that series later in the show. But first, the Chicago White Sox made several minor league roster moves. No, unfortunately, Aloy Jimenez and Michael Kopech are not being called up. But instead, the 2018 first-round pick, Nick Madrigal, is heading to Winston-Salem. That's the good news. The bad news? So is Alec Hansen. Joining me to discuss is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Nick Magical has more minor league promotions than strikeouts so far in his White Sox career. Yeah, I think if you divided it by strikeouts, you would get an error on, error on your calculator. So it's a uh, <laughs> good sign. Yeah, good sign. I mean, uh, after watching Jake Berger struggle in his debut and Zach Collins had you know an all right debut, uh, it's nice to see somebody living up to their draft day scouting report basically right away. 
Yeah, magical hit 341. His on-base percentage was 347 as he's only walked one. So while he's not striking out, he's not walking either. And he's slugging 409. But that is his game, Jim. He attacks early in the strike zone. If there is a first pitch fastball that he knows he can drive, he's going after it. He's not going to wait around and try to work a count to a 2-0 or 3-1. That's just not the type of hitter that Nick Magical is. But now he's moving from Kannapolis to Winston-Salem. The cool news for him is that he'll be playing in the playoffs as long as he's healthy, knock on wood, as the Dash have already clinched the first half. But Jim, do you think he'll be tested in Winston-Salem? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, uh, it'll be... Yeah, I don't think he'll be tested in terms of batting average. I think the other stuff, you know, the uh, the on-base percentage of slugging, I think will be more important with him. And we've seen with Winston-Salem that it hasn't really posed too big of a challenge for a guy like Luis Gonzalez, you know, an accomplished college hitter who, you know, because of the outfield log jam at Winston-Salem to start the season, he spent way too much time in low A in Kannapolis, but he, you know, came up to Winston-Salem, showed no drop-off in performance, so... Given that it's a hitter-friendlier environment, you might see the power play up a little bit more, especially since uh, Madrigal is, is, at least right now, uh, more opposite field-oriented. But, um, yeah, it'll be nice to watch him on TV too, you know, having the Winston-Salem broadcast, yes. being able to, you know, drop in on his games and see what his bats look like rather than, you know, um, even though, even though uh, you know, Jonathan Lee and, and uh, the Canapolis broadcasters do a good job, you know, providing as many at-bats as possible with, you know, cell phone footage from the press box. It's nice to get that broadcast quality look at his at-bats. And if you don't get a chance to watch the games, uh, another player that I can cut highlights for everyone and post them up on YouTube that you guys can watch uh, at your leisure. With Magical joining the Dash, one of the things I've been so impressed with the Dash this year, uh, and it's it's really different than obviously what we've been seeing in the major league level, is that the Dash get on base. They are second in the Carolina League with a team 343 on base percentage. Uh, mm-hmm. And just makes me laugh because the, the White Sox are not anywhere near <laughs> that mark. Uh, so here comes Magical, another guy get, that gets on base, and I think he'll fit right in uh, with what the Dash have been doing offensively. And they've had a terrific year this year offensively for the White Sox affiliate. They lead the Carolina League in 5.19 runs scored and now they get Nick Magical who just seems to be on base at least one third of the time and he doesn't strike out uh, I, I have a feeling Jim he is going to strike out in the Carolina League uh, but it will be oh, interesting I don't, know. <laughs> that, I don't know if he's going to carry that streak all the way to Birmingham maybe in the playoffs <laughs> maybe <laughs> once what does this do for his timetable though because now he here he is in Winston-Salem I think he's going to succeed even on this level. Does this maybe hint at the idea that, okay, maybe 2019 for the first half, he's in Winston-Salem? Or is there a possibility that he could be pushed through the system just because of his unique skill set and he could be in Birmingham to start 2019? I think he could probably start the season in Birmingham if he has success at Winston-Salem. Nobody blocking him at uh, at Birmingham, especially if he's playing second base and you know, given his skill set, given that he doesn't need, um, you know, the I guess the dimensions don't really make a difference to him. So if he goes to Birmingham, if he's expecting to be a power hitter and a lot of his stuff dies in the warning track or just short of it, then, you know, that might be discouraging and it might be, 
I guess, uh, a little bit detrimental to his approach and, and his discipline and everything like that. But I guess when you look at the way he approaches the uh, his at-bats and mainly just goes for, uh, you know, over infielders' heads and, you know, tries to do as much as he can with his legs, it doesn't seem like ballpark will make a difference and it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, I'm guessing high A pitchers really won't face him or test him. So I can see Birmingham being the plan for, uh, opening day uh, at 2019. Um, and I think that was kind of the idea all along because I think uh, many people, and I think maybe even the White Sox before the draft or before uh, Magical signed, you know, pitched the idea of him starting at Winston-Salem immediately. So, yeah, this is a bit delayed. And I think, you know, it's fine what they did because, um, you know, no harm in easing him up the ladder. But uh, you know, given that this was his original timetable, I don't see him... Um, you know, returning to Winston-Salem if it is a success like it seems like it's entirely possible it will be. The White Sox second-round pick Steel Walker will be joining Kannapolis from Great Falls, which I've been wondering what the holdup has been with Walker, but he's finally in Kannapolis. Bryce Bush, getting a lot of hype surrounding him as he's displayed good abilities, will be joining Great Falls. If you don't know who he is, he's a high schooler drafted in the 34th round, only because I think everyone around Major League Baseball thought that he was going to go sign with Mississippi State as he was one of their top recruits and instead changes his mind and signs with the White Sox over slot. And this is somebody that's got a lot of talent uh, and it be quite interesting to see how he handles Great Falls and maybe even Canapolis next year. Definitely someone to keep an eye on, especially in 2019. But as I mentioned in the intro, Jim, the bad news, Alec Hansen obviously has taken a step back in his last start, seven walks to one strikeout, and now he has been demoted from Birmingham to Winston-Salem. And I have been on Hansen's bandwagon since the White Sox drafted him from Oklahoma when he really surprised with his control in Great Falls, and then that just carried over to Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, and Birmingham last year. He went up three levels in 2000. 17 and he's been skyrocketing up through the White Sox prospect rankings but you can't ignore the control issues that have occurred this year in Birmingham do you like this idea of sending Hanson down a level Jim yes um you know obviously you know given that uh, uh you look at his numbers and the walks and everything like that his numbers could have been worse I suppose um you know given how many walked I think it was 16 over his last two outings and wow yeah, so it, it seemed like, you know, keep starting at Birmingham was just hoping for something that wasn't going to happen and maybe stood the chance of just really making it a lost year. Whereas if he goes to Winston-Salem, has success there, and, and he gets reunited with uh, pitching coach Matt Zaleski, who he had a really good working relationship with, even though they're very two different pitchers when it comes to both build and how hard they throw and, and, and the power of their breaking stuff. Um, you couldn't find two more different pitchers, but they had a really good working relationship. Um, yeah, uh, Hanson credited Zaleski a lot with his uh, mechanics and just his overall improvement and polish to his game. So, you know, it's worth, uh, you know, linking them back together and seeing if the you know, lower competition and I guess familiar setting of his, of his last success, um, you know, I, I think just stands a chance of, you know, working if he clicks, you know, if he, if he spends the rest of the season in Winston-Salem, given everything he's been through this year with the injuries and the underperformance of Birmingham, yeah, I don't think that's a big deal. I don't think he needs to get back to Birmingham. I think he just needs to restore some of the confidence and some of the stuff that made him, you know, a top five White Sox prospect and a top 100 prospect overall. 
Yeah, I would like to see Hanson though back with Birmingham to start 2019. Obviously, after spring yeah. training and everything, and hopefully he can regain the success that he had late last year when he joined the Barons. It obviously is very disappointing. I'm sure he's very disappointed as well. This has just been, I don't know, is it too early to say a lost year for Alec Hansen's development, Jim? Because he did miss the first half due to injury, and the second half of this year has not been kind to him. Yeah, I think it's safe to say it, and I don't think that's like a, you know, given his trajectory last year and, and how much he surprised people with his, um, you know, I wouldn't call it overachieving, but just how things clicked for him. It's not, you know, he had room to spare in his timetable. It's not like he was behind the curve age-wise, developmentally or anything. So, you know, he had he had time to give. And so this year is unfortunately the time he's giving. But um, yeah, I think getting back to spring training, being 100% in spring training and, you know, actually pitching all the way through March. Because that's, I think, what threw his whole thing off is that he got injured, had the forearm issue surface in spring training, only had one start, missed all of that you know, didn't get back on the mound, um, you know, took forever to get back, you know, went to Birmingham right away, maybe, you know, um, sometime in A-ball and have him recline the ladder, maybe that would have been a better idea. But, um, you know, if he gets back to Winston-Salem, you know, maybe I wouldn't count on it clicking immediately, but, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, he ties together a couple good starts, maybe gets a start in the postseason and, uh, you know, gives the dash a boost that way. Maybe some Arizona Fall League time if things are going well enough, but, you know, if the White Sox don't oppress their luck, maybe they just have them take the whole, you know, fall and, and winter off and get them back into Camelback Ranch and just hoping to get a good full spring out of him this time. Yeah, I vote for the latter. I think it would be wise to give him a break because, again, with forum issues, you never know, right? You, they could grow to be something much bigger and yeah. it'd be nice to give him the rest so they could avoid Tommy John surgery. Cause it's one thing to have one lost year to have two lost years, I think would be pretty detrimental for Alec Henson's growth within the white Sox farm system. We'll talk more about the white Sox prospects on Monday Sox machine podcast as our good friend, Jim Callis of MLB.com will be joining us to share his thoughts about MLB Pipeline's top 100 and the White Sox top 30 prospects. And to they're going to be releasing, MLB.com will be releasing their top farm systems on Friday. And to give you guys a glimpse, I can't tell you exactly, but the White Sox will be in the top three as far as the farm systems. You got three guesses <laughs> on where the White Sox rank. So there you go as MLB Pipeline uh, we'll be releasing that tomorrow, and Jim Callis shares more of his thoughts about the White Sox farm system, not only the prospects of the top 100, but throughout the top 30. Moving to recap the series against the Kansas City Royals that occurred during this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the White Sox lost two out of three, which is disappointing, and they are now 38-70 and 70 on the season. They're just four games ahead of Kansas City in the standings, which you could look at it in two ways. One, you could be... Very disturbed that they're just four games ahead of Kansas City. Or if you are a draft junkie and you want the White Sox to have the number one pick, you can be hopeful that they're just four games back of Kansas City for the first pick of the 2019 draft. But man, this was close to being just a two-game difference when Whit Merrifield hit a pinch-hit three-run homer to give Kansas City the lead. But as I mentioned in the intro, Jose Abreu, Daniel Polka came through in the clutch and the White Sox were able to salvage at least one game out of this series. There's some good out of this series to discuss, and there is many things 
that are bad. That's kind of the 2018 season theme. But I like to talk to start about this series is about Rick Rentry's managerial style, Jim, because I think it was on full display in these three games on the things that bug me about his style of coaching the White Sox. First, the benching of Tim Anderson for not running. You wrote about it on SoxMachine.com. And using a different damn pitcher for every batter, it seems, late in the game. He did it again on Thursday. I'm not a fan of benching Tim Anderson for not, for not running down first base in that situation. And I just don't understand burning through so many pitchers late in games. My question is, do you think this is part of Renteria's managerial style? And this is what we should expect moving forward, no matter what kind of talent is on the team. I don't think so, because it's vastly different from what he had the year before when he had Canley and Robertson and Swarzak and Jennings and a whole bunch of veteran guys. Um, he was very pretty much traditional, you know, using guys for full innings, using Swarzak. Yeah, I guess. Um, and Canley, too, as they both show that they're overpowering, just uh, increasing their um, responsibilities and, and, you know, having no problem running them out there, especially with shorter starts from the rotation. And it worked out well. And I think if you give him a bullpen, if you give guys with roles, uh, at least guys who you know deserve roles, have a firm understanding of what they are entering the season. He probably doesn't overthink it so much, but now with, you know, uh, Soria gone, there really isn't anybody, you know, I guess maybe Fry's is top lefty reliever. Maybe, you know, Manai is there as a righty. You know, just it's, there, there isn't a whole lot to like from the, uh, you know, for a folding guy, they didn't really have that guy. And uh, so I think this is just kind of maybe not wanting to put guys in a position to fail, uh, given that they're all untested. And, you know, Manai was probably the most proven entering the season, but, you know, he's wobbled so much that it's hard to feel great about him. You know, Sedano might be the second best option, but he's lefty. And, you know, I think that's has limited use against good righties like, say, Merrifield. So it's... Uh, not a great position to be in. And I'm hoping that some, you know, I'm hoping that'll give guys the opportunity to re, re you know, I guess face a full inning, retire a full inning and maybe have somebody earn that trust. I would like to see, and, you know, and Dylan Covey really struggled, you know, in his traditional way, struggling the second time through the order. I would like to see him, you know, and, and I don't know if we will with Kopech coming up, but uh, it would be nice if Kopech took his spot and Covey went to the bullpen and Covey gave Renteria a guy who can pitch a full inning out of the bullpen. I would like to see that tried out because we've seen him early on. His first inning, his second inning looked great. Uh, and given just how uh, um, you know much he struggled in, in most of his starts since his uh, comeback from AAA, it seems like uh, you know the time is running thin in the rotation, and you know it might be worth starting a second life now and seeing just how good he can be at one inning bursts. I was gonna ask you about your tweet hashtag Kovey for closers. Is this what you are? you're alluding to yes and you know maybe not full-time but I, I think just right now if you want a guy who can face an inning and has stuff to go at hitters of both uh you know lefties and righties he might be the best one cut out for it and you know it's not a lot of fun watching him start so uh that seems to be the easiest swap for me until say unless james shields is traded to uh you know have kopech come up have kobe go go to the bullpen and maybe the white Sox are are more watchable on two fronts Yohan Mikata on Wednesday hit his 14th home run, and he got on base four times with two hits, two walks. A great day for the rebuild. Thursday, Mikata struck out looking four times. <laughs> Not only did he get the golden sombrero, he did it looking each time. 
It is frustrating to watch Mikado look at all these strike threes, Jim. Is this a teachable moment for the White Sox with Mankata, or is this just going to be part of the territory with him moving forward? I think it's teachable because all four pitches were fastballs. And I think that's the most troubling part of these uh, strike three looking is that, you know, say if he gets locked up on a great slider that's, you know, low and away, or, you know, in some cases uh, he's been rung up on pitches off the zone. You know, that's bad luck. That's just being aced by a great pitch. But, you know, as we've heard Hawk Harrelson say numerous times, and in, in one of his more useful things he repeats time and time again, is that you have to be looking fastball. If you're looking, you know, anything else, unless it's somebody who throws like a slider 60% of the time or something like that, um, you have to look fastball and adjust off that. And when he's getting locked up on fastballs up in the zone, um, at the knees, but over the heart of the plate, you know, uh, pitches that are strikes one way or another, um, not, not one that could be, you know, called a ball in two different ways. This is, you know, the kind of strike you need to protect against, uh, and they're all fastballs. Then I think that's something where you need, he needs to reconsider his approach because, you know, getting locked up on two strike fastballs time and time and time again, it seems like, uh, pitchers aren't afraid to do that to him. <laughs> and that just makes them so less dangerous if, uh, pitchers don't have to overthink it going into a two strike count. So, I'm hoping that's the case in that he'll, uh, uh, you know, and I think uh, Nick Madrigal, you know, the quote that he gave that, you know, he can't, he doesn't trust umpires enough to leave it in their hands. And that's why he's so good at hitting it balls off the plate and maybe not drawing a ton of walks, but, you know, having the bat control to either fight him off or poke him in the right field or, you know, do whatever he wants with it. I, I think, you know, not that they're two vastly different players and Mankata will not have that kind of approach, but just having a little bit more of that mindset uh, would be helpful. But I think he needs to start with being ready for two strike fastballs and then adjusting from there. Yeah, that's the dichotomy between Magical and Mikata is that Magical playing college baseball. I mean, I, I don't know what the umpiring is when Mikata played organized baseball before joining the White Sox in the trade from Boston. Obviously, he played through the minor leagues, which we know the umpiring is a bit shady uh, in the minor leagues. But it's a lot better in the minor leagues than it is in college baseball. So I I think for Magical, that totally makes sense watching his college games. And that's why he attacks early. You know, NBC Sports Chicago, they have their podcast. They're taping their podcast live uh, tonight at Reggie's. And Rick Khan was asked a question about Yohan Mikata. And he said, Mikata has a skill that you can't teach, which is plate discipline, which I find his the, the comments that he's been making lately have this unique timing to them because uh, that's 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 a darn thing to say when he struck out four times looking today is yeah. he can't teach his plate discipline and on the season his on base percentage is 308 but we know that Mikata does have he'll take his walks that is one thing that we have seen from him uh, i still feel that it's not necessarily plate discipline it's passive and it's just funny because the night before he jumped on the first pitch fastball and he hit a home run and he just, we're not seeing that consistency in each of his bats. You're more likely to watch Mikata be overly patient rather than being aggressive. And I'd still like to see Mikata be aggressive. And I like to see where his numbers are a month from now as we roll into September before we totally grade out on how this season has gone for him. Uh, but that's part of the rebuild, right? One day, he's going to get on base four times. He's going to be really excited. And the next day, 
Whew. He's going to strike out looking four times. Oh, well, before we preview the upcoming series in Tampa Bay, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Whether you're heading to a baseball game or concert this summer, Lollapalooza's this weekend in Chicago, SeatGeek has you covered. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live events. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I use SeatGeek all the time when I'm buying White Sox tickets, as it's by far the easiest way i found to shop for those tickets. And I use SeatGeek to buy tickets for the upcoming August 11th game, as it's Jim Tomey bobblehead day, and it's a 6.05 p.m. start on Saturday. I figured it's going to be a fun game to go to. The bobblehead looks awesome, and SeatGeek has plenty of tickets available at a great deal. So if you're interested in going to that game, Go to SeatGeek, and if you've never used SeatGeek before, use our promo code to get $20 off your first purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOCKSMACHINE, that's promo code SOCKSMACHINE, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. And now, the series in Tampa Bay, I say Tampa Bay, but technically it's St. Petersburg, between the White Sox and the Rays, the Rays are 56 and 53. They're three games above 500. The problem is they're in the American League East as they're 19 games back of first place, but they are seven and a half games back of the final wild card spot. The pitching problems for this series on Friday at 6:10 p.m. Central Time it is Lucas Giolito against Ryan Stanek. Saturday at 5:10 p.m. Central Time. It is Carlos Rodon against Blake Snell. That will be a terrific pitching matchup. And on Sunday, 12.10 p.m. Central Time, it is James Shields against to be announced as Shields will be making his return where his career began. And this weekend, the Rays are celebrating the 2008 Tampa Bay Rays team, you know, just to rub that little dirt in front of White Sox fans that may be going to the game this, this weekend. But anyways, as I mentioned a little bit surprised. The Rays are 56 and 53. And Jim, at the trade deadline, the move that shocked me the most was the Rays trading Chris Archer to the Pittsburgh Pirates. This after acquiring Tommy Pham from the St. Louis Cardinals. Whenever the Rays make a move, I'm baffled because to me it's a bit confusing on what they're trying to do. Why make a move adding an outfielder like Tommy Pham if you're going to trade away one of your frontline starters and Chris Archer? What do you think of the moves Tampa made on Tuesday? It seems like, you know, the way they they do business and the way they have to um, is that they try to remain competitive while not paying anybody, Uh, at least you're not being under contract for anybody. So, you know, Archer goes and and Glassnow comes in and, and Austin Meadows come in. So, I mean, you have those two guys who are ready to contribute at the major league level and they're not being paid anything. Fam is still... You know, he's an, he was an older rookie, older breakout, so he's still under uh, um, you know team control and not you know under a uh, free agent contract yet. So he provides some you know I guess 
instant offense now, I mean, their offense or their outfield right now is, or at least for 2019, is going to be Pham and Kiermaier and Meadows. And that's not a bad outfield, you know, when it comes to you know, projectability and defense and um, especially for what they're being paid. So, I mean, you know, it's a good outfield. And you see the record 56 and 53. It all comes without paying anybody. You know, they trade anybody. You know, they traded uh, Alex Colomay and they, and they let Wilson Ramos go. And, you know, just the, all these moves they make. Um, and, and they're still over 500. It's remarkable how well they do with um, all these guys to give away. They gave away uh, Chris Dickerson <laughs> to the Pirates. Uh, in the offseason. He's having a great year for the uh, Pirates, but, you know, they they go on without him. And it just seems to be their MO is that, you know, if anybody's being paid a lot who isn't Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, they can go on without him. And, you know, they haven't been proven wrong in that case. They're always around 500, whether you know, it's slightly over this year or just – you know, under last year, but always respectable. And so um, it's hard to write off any one move they do because they seem to have a working plan that never looks good on paper, but always tends to be decent. And I'm going to be fascinated watching because this is my first time watching their um, opener idea in in uh, in full working order because uh, Ryan Stanek, he's going to be opening and then, but the guy who replaces him in the second or third inning is going to be taking on more of the game and I imagine Sunday is going to be an opener too. So Snell is really the only guy who you expect to see for five, six, seven innings. Yeah, I kind of admire on the type of success they've been getting, especially this year. I I thought they would be a team before the season began, have a top five pick because of all the injuries they went through. Brent Honeywell is one of the top pitching prospects that's out there, but they lost him because of Tommy John and... I know that they you like to use the opener, but they do have some really good pitchers down in their farm system, especially if you're watching the AAA games between the Durham Bulls and the Charlotte Knights. Uh, it's just unfortunate for the Rays. They're in the division with the Red Sox and Yankees. And unless they figure out a way to win like 95 to 100 games in a year, I just don't know how they're going to be able to, to make the postseason anytime soon. I, I guess that's the difference when you're a White Sox fan watching the rebuild, knowing that, okay, it doesn't take a super team to win the division and then be a Rays fan, maybe a little disappointed that they traded in way in one of their franchise players again, like they traded Evan Lagoria before the season began. Now they just traded Chris Archer, but they're 56 and 53 while White Sox fans are dealing with the 38 and 70 season. So it's yeah. just, uh, again, I'm just baffled on the moves that they make. But as you mentioned, Jim, it seems to work out for them. From a White Sox perspective, what are you hoping to see out of this weekend? Uh, more great Carlos Gradon. Um, you know, he's been, he's somebody, I guess, who is defying the peripherals a bit because he's not recording strikeouts the way we know he can, but he's also getting early outs, pitching efficiently, um, you know, working quickly through innings. And I'm hoping, you know, when you look at his numbers and you look at the way he's, uh, coming along that this is a guy who is showing more polish and doesn't need to go for power if he doesn't have to and can you know find 97 98 when he needs it on his fastball can throw his wipeout slider when he needs to but is comfortable getting early outs i'm hoping for that and i'm hoping for a bounce back from Moncada. just uh you know after a four strikeout game whether you know for i wanted to bench him for a game or just sit him for a game sit with him for a game uh, I, I wouldn't blame him just to clear his head and yeah, you know, watch other guys' approaches and, and kind of show what they're looking for and then, you know, maybe get them back in. But if they 
decide that, uh, you know, going the closer route and just giving him another game, uh, trying to erase that from his memories, uh, you know, the right call, then, you know, go for that. But I'm, I'm just hoping for a bounce back from him and, you know, hopefully not so many backwards Ks. If they're going to sit him, I would sit him Saturday because I, I don't know how yeah. he's going to handle Blake Snell. I am really looking forward to Saturday night's pitching matchup. I think that's going to be a terrific game to watch, especially if you like pitcher's duels between Rodon and Snell. The one thing I'm looking for in this series, I hope Lucas Giolito can have another good start to start getting rolling here in August. Because if you look at the schedule, it does not get any easier for the White Sox, especially next week. After the three games in Tampa, they have three games Monday through Wednesday against the New York Yankees. And then on the weekend series, Cleveland comes into town before they head out to Detroit. The Royals come back and then they have two games against the twins and they have a four game series in Detroit. And then there are three games in the Bronx. And then after that, after three games in New York, they come home to have a series against the Boston Red Sox. This month could be really bad, Jim. We talked about it a little bit on Monday on how August could be ugly. But when you look at the schedule here, I guess what should White Sox fans be looking for? Because from my point of view, if you're a White Sox fan hoping for wins, they're going to be very few and far between this month. Yeah, no, it's going to be tough. And I guess the good news is with the Yankees, they might be catching them while they're a little down too. You know, with Aaron Judge being out, having some question marks in the rotation with uh, Gray going down to the bullpen and Jay Happ uh, going on the DL. You know, they've, They've taken some lumps and, and they're losing to Boston 11 to five. So they've had a little bit of a rough time, but uh, you know, that, that I guess that's the one thing I'm kind of holding out hope for is that if you're going to play the Yankees, this might be the time to play them. I don't think there's any good time <laughs> to play the Yankees. Yeah. Oh man. I just hope that the uh, pitching holds up. I would feel a little bit better if Rodon was making one of those starts, but you got what Dylan Covey starting on Monday and then Ronaldo Lopez will be starting on Tuesday. And then looks like Giolito will be starting on that Wednesday. So big tests for Lopez and Giolito. And then on the weekend, uh, yeah. you will see Rodon and Shields uh, go up against the Cleveland Indians and hopefully giving the team an opportunity to steal one of those games. I mean, it's two premium opponents next week for home games. It'll be fun to attend those games. Uh, but out of those six games looking ahead to next week, and we'll preview the series more in depth on Monday's show. Uh, yeah, if they win one out of those six, I'd be, I'd be impressed. But again, they have the three games in St. Petersburg. Hopefully they can steal one, if not the series, from the race. Again, we'll recap this series on Monday's Sox Machine podcast, as that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that listened to the live stream on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. If you never get a chance to listen to us live, no worries. The recording of each episode is uploaded into the podcast feed shortly after the streamed show. And speaking of the podcast, you can subscribe to the show in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Audioboom. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Are you ready for spring? Well, now's the perfect time to head out to your local garden center and pick up a hydrangea from Proven Winners to add to your landscape. Proven Winners hydrangeas are gorgeous and simple to care for. There's just no better or easier way 
to enjoy a flower-filled summer. Take the time to plant one now and look forward to years of enjoyment and compliments. Look for proven winner's hydrangeas in the white containers at your favorite garden center.